Welcome to Whores Talk Whore. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello and welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. Most of you have probably seen by now the horror movie The Rental, written by Dave Franco about two couples on an oceanside getaway who grow suspicious that the host of their seemingly perfect rental house may be spying on them. Before long, what should have been a celebratory weekend trip turns into something far more sinister. That movie doesn't specifically state that the rental is an Airbnb, but it's close enough. And today, we're going to be talking about real-life Airbnb nightmares. I found an article by Bloomberg Business Week written by David Ingold titled, Airbnb is spending millions of dollars to make nightmares go away. The article is about how when things go horribly wrong during people's stays, Airbnb's secretive safety team jumps in to soothe guests, hosts, help families, and prevent PR disasters. And when I say things go wrong, I'm not talking about a dirty rental house or an unhelpful host, which does happen. I'm talking about murder, rape, homes being ransacked or even burned, shootings, and even hosts that use the popular website to hunt for their next victims. To say I was a little shook after reading the article (laughs) is An understatement on a Sunday morning. What a thing to wake up to. Um, And as a woman who sometimes travels alone and who primarily uses Airbnbs only now, just because I like having, you know, a bigger space for less money and having my own kitchen and, you know, all the other amenities that go with an Airbnb. Yeah. Um, But yeah, this article terrified me. But with that being said, there are still millions and millions of people who use the site every year and have safe and wonderful experiences. Also, a lot of these stories can happen in a hotel or even in your own home for that matter. I just really wanted to make people aware of these stories so that when they are traveling, since we are all back to traveling uh, now, at least most of us are, um, they can use better judgment when deciding where to stay. We will also be including some safety tips at the end of our discussion. So what is Airbnb? Well, founded by design students Brian Chesky and Joe Jebia, along with engineer Nate Blacharchek. Sorry, apologies for any mispronunciation. The company began in 2007 in San Francisco by roommates Brian and Joe, who were trying to figure out a way to pay their rent. There was a design conference coming to San Francisco, as there usually is, and (laughs) hotels were sold out. So the roommates inflated three airbeds and turned their apartment into an airbed and breakfast. The duo thought, maybe there's a bigger idea here. Since then, the company has gone from the two hosts in San Francisco to a community of over 4 million hosts all over the world that operates an online marketplace for lodging, primarily homestays for vacation rentals and tourism activities. The company is now valued at around $130 billion. Fuck, we really need to get on some of our ideas, Sharon. (laughs) One of the first Silicon Valley venture capitalists the three founders pitched their idea to was Chris Saka, an early backer of Instagram, Twitter, and Uber. Saka said after their presentation, 
He pulled the men aside and said, quote, guys, this is super dangerous. Somebody's going to get raped or murdered and the blood is going to be on your hands. Sokka did not invest. From the outset, Airbnb has encouraged strangers to connect online, exchange money, and then meet in real life, often sleeping under the same roof. It's somewhere between a tech platform and a hotel operator, unable to disavow responsibility for ensuring its users are safe. They are also unable to provide security guards and other on-site staff as a hotel would. Tara Bunch, Airbnb's head of global operations, says, quote, You are dealing with real people in real people's homes. People are naturally unpredictable, and as much as we try, occasionally really bad things happen. We all know that you can't stop everything, but it's all about how you respond, and when it happens, you have to make it right, and that's what we try to do each and every time, unquote. That's kind of freaky. It yeah, <laughs> um, like just that alone. <laughs> I mean, Chris Saka was right. You know, there's going to be blood on their hands, and it's unfortunate that uh, people suck. <laughs> it's unfortunate that people are the worst. That's right. <laughs> so let's get into some of the things that do happen in Airbnbs. Things so horrible that Airbnb has people who used to work for the FBI and CIA working for them now. Our first story comes from New York City. This comes straight from the Bloomberg article, which we will have the link to in our show notes. Before I get to this first story, I want to give a trigger warning for anyone who has dealt with assault, sexual assault or rape. Um, So here is your trigger warning now. And honestly, here's your trigger warning for the rest of the episode, because (laughs) there are several stories like this. But I think it's very important to tell these stories so that people know how important it is to do extra safety checks when renting Airbnbs. So agreed. This is to help people. The first floor apartment on West 37th Street, a few blocks south of Times Square, was popular with tourists, so popular that a set of keys was left at the counter of a nearby bodega for Airbnb renters to pick up. That's where a 29-year-old Australian woman and a group of her friends retrieved them. No identification needed when they arrived in Manhattan to celebrate New Year's Eve in 2015. The apartment had been advertised on Airbnb, even though most short-term rentals are illegal in New York. The city, prodded by powerful hotel unions, was at war with the company, which was listing thousands of apartments in the five boroughs, despite some of the strictest regulations in the country. Soon after ringing in the new year, the woman left her friends at the bar where they had been celebrating and returned to the apartment on her own. She didn't notice anything amiss or see the man standing in the shadows as she walked into the bathroom. By the time she realized she wasn't alone, the blade of a kitchen knife was pointing down at her. The stranger grabbed her, shoved her onto a bed, and raped her. The drunken revelers were wandering the streets outside, but the woman was too scared to scream. The attacker fled with her phone, but she managed to reach her friends with an iPad, and they ran into the streets to find a police officer. The cops were already in the apartment an hour or so later when the man returned and peered into the doorway. They caught him and emptied his backpack, pulling out three incriminating items. 
a knife, one of the women's earrings, and a set of keys to the apartment. You always return to the scene of the crime, so they say... Damn, no shit. Thank God he did, because otherwise they might not have caught this person ever. Yeah. That morning, a call came in for Nick Shapiro, a former deputy chief of staff at the CIA and National Security Council advisor in the Obama White House. Shapiro was two weeks into a new job as a crisis manager at Airbnb. Shapiro said, quote, I remember thinking I was right back in the thick of it. This brought me back to feelings of confronting truly horrific matters at Langley and in the Situation Room at the White House, end quote. Shapiro notified other Airbnb executives, including Chief Executive Officer Brian Chesky. Meanwhile, safety agents from the company's elite trust and safety team sprang into action. They relocated the woman to a hotel, paid for her mother to fly in from Australia, flew them both home, and offered to cover any health or counseling costs. The duplicate keys posed a particular problem for the company and a mystery for investigators. How had the man gotten them? Airbnb does not have a policy for how hosts exchange keys with guests, and its reputation for safety and possibly its legal liability hinged on the answer. Shapiro, who has since left the company, helped coordinate an investigation into the matter. A week later, a staff member was sent to court to see if Airbnb was mentioned during a proceeding. It wasn't. The local media didn't report on the crime either, despite the lurid details, and the company wanted to keep it that way. The story remained unreported until now, in no small part because two years after the assault, Airbnb wrote the woman a check for $7 million, one of the biggest payouts the company has ever made. In exchange, she signed an agreement not to talk about the settlement or imply responsibility or liability on the part of Airbnb or the host. Details of the crime, the company's response, and the settlement were reconstructed from police and court records and confidential documents, as well as from interviews with people familiar with the case. The woman whose name was redacted in court documents and who asked through her lawyer not to be identified declined to comment. So did her lawyer. Ben Bright, uh, I think that's how you say it, B-R-E-I-T. Sure. An Airbnb spokesman said that the company doesn't have the power to keep stories out of the media and that despite the wording of the settlement agreement, the woman is able to discuss whether she holds anyone responsible. He adds that Airbnb's goal following the incident was to support the survivor of a horrific attack and that local political issues had nothing to do with its response. Wow, those are really pretty words. Support the survivor of a horrific attack, but not take responsibility as a company? Huh. Well, I mean, this happens a lot, as we will discuss. Right. So there would be no company if they took responsibility for every incident that occurred. Um, and to be fair, as we will talk about later, it is really hard to control people. Well, I right. mean, yeah, this this could happen anywhere. Well, that's a good transition. Uh, the way 
Airbnb has handled crimes such as the New York attack shows how critical the safety team has been to the company's growth. Airbnb's business model rests on the idea that strangers can trust one another. <laughs> it's a bad idea. I know, right? I wasn't going to laugh, in but theory, since you did. <laughs> in theory, that, you know, if we lived in a perfect world, that would be great. It's lovely, yes. But, but as I said, people are the worst. Uh-huh, Absolutely. Uh, If that premise is undermined, it can mean fewer users and more lawsuits, not to mention tighter regulation. Yep, absolutely. Wouldn't be a bad thing. Right. For all its importance, the safety team remains shrouded in secrecy. Insiders call it the black box. But eight former members and 45 other current and former Airbnb employees familiar with the team's role agreed to speak with anonymity for fear of breaching confidentiality agreements, and they provided a rare glimpse into its operations and internal struggles. Former team members say the job is a nerve-wracking one, balancing the often conflicting interests of guests, hosts, and the company. A former agent recalls, quote, I had situations where I had to get off the phone and go cry. That's all you can do, unquote. Jesus. In the early days, the co-founders answered every customer service complaint on their mobile phones. Bless their hearts. (laughs) When that became unmanageable, they hired support staff to field calls. It wasn't until three years in, after more than two million booked stays, that the company faced its first big safety crisis. In 2011, a host in San Francisco blogged about returning from a work trip to find her home ransacked. Her, quote, guests, unquote, had trashed her clothes, burned her belongings, and smashed a hole through the locked closet door to steal her passport, credit card, laptop, and hard drives, as well as her grandmother's jewelry. Again, people suck. They're the worst. In a follow-up post, the host wrote that an Airbnb co-founder had contacted her and, rather than offering support, asked her to remove the story from her blog, saying it could hurt an upcoming funding round. Soon, hashtag RansackGate was trending on Twitter, and the incident snowballed into a crash course in crisis management. The result? A public apology from Chesky, a $50,000 damage guarantee for hosts, which has since been increased to $1 million, and a 24-hour customer support hotline and a new trust and safety department. As Airbnb grew so did the number of dangerous incidents. Everything from hosts hurling suitcases out of windows to concealed cameras, gas leaks, and sexual assaults. In some cases, hosts used the platform to commit them. In one October 2011 incident, an Airbnb host in Barcelona plied two American women who'd booked a stay at his home with alcohol, then raped them. When the women went to the police the next morning, the host threatened to upload videos of the attack to the internet if they didn't drop the case, according to local media reports. Police searched his apartment and found hundreds of similar photos of other victims. The man received a 12-year prison sentence. Airbnb, which declined to comment about the case for this story, paid the two women an undisclosed amount 
and banned the host for life. Who would that have hurt more if he uploaded the videos of the attack? Right? Here you go. Here's the evidence. Arrest me if you don't drop the case. Like, what? I know. I would have been like. idiot. Go ahead. Upload them. Yeah, upload them. They'll get taken down immediately and your ass is going to go to jail and get raped. So. (laughs) But this is like. Like everybody's worst nightmare. Oh <laughs> like my God. all of these stories. Seer- it is. It really is. By 2016, the safety team was overwhelmed with calls, many of them minor in nature, and Airbnb started training contractors and call centers around the world to handle the flood of complaints. Airbnb says that fewer than 0.1% of stays result in a reported safety issue. But with more than 200 million bookings a year, that is a lot of trips with bad endings. And I did the math. And if I did it right, that's around 2 million. Actually, I think it's 200,000. That's around 200,000, as I said. Uh, It's still a lot. It's a lot. That's a lot of issues with people's safety. Yeah, for sure. Um, Only the most serious problems are transferred to the internal safety team. That team is made up of about 100 agents in Dublin, Montreal, Singapore, and other cities. Some have emergency services or military backgrounds. Team members have the autonomy to spend whatever it takes to make a victim feel supported, including paying for flights, accommodation, food, counseling, health costs, and sexually transmitted disease testing for rape survivors, which good on them for doing all this. Although I really think they need to address the bottom issue, which is preventing this in the first place. Right. Um, A former agent who was at Airbnb for five years described the approach as shooting the money cannon. The team has relocated guests to hotel rooms at 10 times the cost of their booking, paid for round-the-world vacations, and even signed checks for dog counseling sessions. And I do not want to know what happened to those poor animals. I haven't even thought of that until now, but oh my God. Well, dog counseling, doesn't that mean they sent the people to go for counseling with animals? Like, so like, oh, maybe I thought care of dogs is, like, or whatever people because we actually stayed in an Airbnb once um, Spencer and I in Monterey and it was a house where the owner like lived there with his dog. Oh. So there was a dog there and we're animal lovers. We would never hurt an animal, but I'm sure there are assholes who have hurt people's animals and houses that they're staying in. Um, That's a horrible thought. That is a horrible thought. I mean, it's horrible. It happens to people, too. (laughs) Obviously, all of it's horrible. But yeah, um, I do think the dog counseling sessions means that you were sent to a counseling session with a cute little doggy. Honestly, I think it could be either one. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. It's probably both. Former agents recall cases where they had to counsel guests hiding in wardrobes or running from secluded cabins after being assaulted by hosts. Okay, cabins, though. I could, I mean, what do we say about staying in cabins? In the woods. I'm not making light, but I kind of am. I've also, I've, we've stayed in Airbnbs that are cabins in the woods oh. before. Um, but reading, yeah, that just gave me the chills reading that. But also it reminds me of, uh, so one of many and my favorite podcasts is Comedians with Ghost Stories. And Emily Winter, the host, interviewed someone this 
last season, I believe. Um, so go check this out. This episode scared the crap out of me, but it was about a couple who was staying in a cabin in the woods in upstate New York. And the story that her guest told was absolutely horrifying. And it had nothing to do with ghosts. It was literally like real life monsters. And I really think that the people who owned this Airbnb were like shady as fuck and going to hurt these people. And they were smart enough to leave that night because there was so many things going wrong that they're like, ah, we're going to get murdered if we stay here. So, (laughs) um, but yeah, comedians with ghost stories, go check out her most current season and try and find that story. I think it's literally called like Airbnb nightmare or something like that. So honestly, sometimes I think I'd rather see a ghost. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like 100%. That would, humans scare me more. Absolutely. 100%. Sometimes the guests were the perpetrators, as with an incident, when one guest was found in bed naked <sighs> with his host's seven-year-old daughter. Gross. What the fuck? What is wrong with people? Agents have had to hire body fluid crews to clean blood off carpets, arrange for contractors to cover bullet holes in walls, and deal with hosts who discovered dismembered human remains. Can you imagine coming back to your house and finding dismembered human remains when someone was supposed to be just taking, you know, like a family vacation? No. I don't want to either. (laughs) (laughs) This is stressing me out. (laughs) Reading, (laughs) Reading this. All right. The work can speaking of the work can be so stressful that agents have access to cool down rooms with dimmed lighting to create a soothing atmosphere for answering harrowing calls. And it can take a heavy toll. Some former agents say they suffer from vicarious trauma on the job. They try to remember that everything that happens in life can happen in an Airbnb. That perspective was drilled into new recruits during a 12 week training session. Just as nightclubs cannot eliminate sexual assaults and hotels cannot stop human trafficking, Airbnb cannot prevent bad actors from using its platform. The company says its safety agents are taught to prioritize customers in crisis, yet many understood themselves to have a dual role to protect both the individual and, of course, Airbnb's public image. According to some former agents, in sensitive cases, they were encouraged to get a payout agreement signed as quickly as possible. Until 2017, other insiders say every agreement came with a non-disclosure clause that barred the recipient from talking about what had happened, making further requests for money or from suing the company. That practice ended when the Me Too movement showed how non-disclosure agreements were being used to shield high-profile individuals and companies from fallout over allegations of misconduct. Airbnb replaced the NDA section of its payout agreement with a narrower clause that says recipients can't discuss the terms of their settlement or imply that it's an admission of wrongdoing. A confidential document seen by Bloomberg Businessweek shows that in recent years, Airbnb spends an average of about $50 million annually on payouts to hosts and guests, including legal settlements and damage to homes. Safety agents who clean up only after disaster strikes say they felt like the unloved side of the department. (laughs) 
According to a former agent, the hardest part of the job was making peace with their role in keeping cases quiet and ensuring that victims and their families did not blame the company. Sometimes they were told to prioritize less traumatic situations just because they involved reality TV stars and others with big social media followings, which made them very uncomfortable. Woof. In early 2016, after the assault near Times Square, safety agents did what they were trained to do, provide comfort and assistance to the victim. But the possibility of a lawsuit raised the stakes. Chris Lahane, a former political operative for President Bill Clinton, had been hired by Airbnb as head of global policy and communications for a few months before the incident. Company insiders say Lahane, who wrote the 2014 book Masters of Disaster about the black art of damage control, was afraid the case could be used by opponents to run Airbnb out of town. The issue with the keys wasn't easily addressed. Arrangements such as the one used by the host on West 37th are common in the short-term rental ecosystem. A luggage store next door to the building advertised itself online as, quote, a convenient spot for picking up Airbnb lockbox keys, unquote. But these practices can be dangerous, with keys passing through an unknown number of hands. When Spencer and I were in Reykjavik, Remember that one place we stayed in? They, the host was like, I'm not in town. He dropped the keys off at a bus station and put it in one of the lockers and told us which locker to go to to get the key out. And it was, <laughs> Shut up. It, it was a, there was a code, right? Wasn't there something like that? Or There was a code, yes. He put in a code in the locker so that we could open the locker. Yeah. Um, and then we got the key and went to the apartment, which was like, a big apartment building with, you know, who knows how many people and who knows how many people he's done this before. And I guarantee he's not changing his locks every time. So, yeah, like thinking about that now, it's like, holy shit, that was really stupid to rent that place. But then also they had um, it was a, a very small place, um, but the back patio doors didn't lock. There's like a problem with the lock. So, yeah, who knows how many people had a key to our place and the back door didn't lock. So anyone could have like come through the window while we were sleeping. But was it on the ground floor? Um, It was like one floor up. It would not have been hard to get up there if someone really wanted to get it. <laughs> this wasn't the the last place we stayed at where that you had a really bad feeling. No, that was a different place. That was a different place. And that place also creeped me the fuck out because it was a garden apartment. Oh, yeah. No, I can't. So in in Iceland, people leave their windows open because they don't have air conditioning. So if it's a little warmer of a day, you'll just open the windows. And I was like, hell no, not in a garden apartment, like where anyone can just like slip in through the windows. Totally. So, And that place also had doors that went to, I think, another adjoining apartment. I was like, nope, uh-uh. I was terrified of that place. Oh, my God. I had such a bad feeling the entire time we stayed there. I mean, overall, Reykjavik's in Iceland itself is like a very, very safe place. But um, yeah, yeah, this was, yeah. I Never again, basically. I would, <laughs> especially after reading this article um, and we'll get to like, you know, safety precautions. Um, never again. I feel so stupid for even staying in those two at, places. At a place like that. 
not Airbnb in general, never again. Oh, yeah. I would never say in those two specific places. places again. And I would never say in another place that was a, a garden apartment or I will never stay in an Airbnb again that does not have a key code to get in. I will, I'm not do, dealing with actual keys. Yeah, because the key code, they can change it every time. Every, and yeah. yeah, that's I oh, like that. OK. I yeah. see your point. Well, I just like that the, the um, luggage store literally had a giant sign that was like, Convenient spot for picking. Hey, if you want to break into an Airbnb, you can get keys here, basically. Like, well, I think they they mean if you are an Airbnb in the city and you're not going to be around, you can leave the key here. It's a safe place. But yeah, also, it's, I mean, they're trying to make money off Airbnb too because it's a very lucrative business and a lot of people use it. So, well, and clearly, you could, anybody who wants to can get a hold of the keys. Yeah. Right. There's no ID thing. Right. It's crazy. So detectives were, as we said earlier, lucky that the alleged rapist, Junior Lee, uh, from the Times Square case, had returned with the keys. Uh, He was charged with predatory sexual assault, which carries a maximum sentence of life in prison. A prosecutor told the judge that Lee, 24, was a career criminal with 40 misdemeanor convictions, according to court transcripts. Lee pleaded not guilty and bail was set at 250000 It is still not clear how Lee got the keys. Hmm. His legal aid lawyer, Evan Rock, declined to comment on the case. Lee, who's been deemed mentally unfit, is in custody awaiting further examination. But even if he goes to trial, it's not clear whether the company's role will be an issue or whether the mystery of the keys will ever be solved. Airbnb has a 10,000 word terms of service agreement for people who use the site, which is another important way Airbnb keeps incidents out of court and out of the public eye. Anyone registering on the site is required to sign this agreement, which bars legal claims for injury or stress arising from a stay and requires confidential arbitration in the event of a dispute. Former safety agents estimate the company handles thousands of allegations of sexual assault every year, many involving rape. Yikes. Yet only one case related to a sexual assault has been filed against Airbnb and U.S. courts. Victims' lawyers say the terms of service are an important reason why. The case that did make it through was filed in 2017 by a 51-year-old woman named Leslie... Lapioker? Thank you. Lapioker, who sued Airbnb after allegedly being assaulted by a host in Los Angeles. She was moving to the city from New Mexico and had booked a 30-day stay while she searched for an apartment. She decided to leave because of the host's bizarre behavior. He followed her into the studio unit she'd rented, locked the door, held her in a chair against her will, and masturbated in front of her, ejaculating into a trash can. Classy. As she fled, according to the complaint, the host said, quote, don't forget to leave me a positive review on Airbnb, end quote. The man who said the encounter was consensual wasn't charged. That's bullshit. Totally. Leipayoker's lawyer, 
Teresa Lee, says the suit was able to proceed despite the arbitration requirements and Airbnb's terms of service because the company hadn't done a thorough background check of the host. Airbnb only flags prior convictions, and though the host had previously been charged with battery, he wasn't convicted. In her filing, Lee argued that Airbnb created a false sense of security by using the words trust and safety on its website. The company moved to settle, offering Lepioker an undisclosed amount of money in exchange for dropping the case. It also banned the host from its platform. Airbnb declined to comment, as did Lepioker. Lee says she's barred from discussing the negotiations or the amount her client received. She's also settled another assault case against the company brought by a U.S. citizen raped in India by a host's relative who was out on bail after being charged with murder. Jesus. In another incident that resulted in a lawsuit against Airbnb, this story has a much more tragic ending, um, and this comes from NBC News and the Daily Beast. I actually remember hearing about this story years ago. In 2018, Carla Stefaniak flew to Costa Rica planning to celebrate her 36th birthday in style. She booked the tropical Villa Le Mas Resort via Airbnb for her final night before the flight back home to Miami, but she never made it to the airport. Stefaniak was with her sister-in-law, April Antonietta Burton, who Stefaniak left at the San Jose airport on November 27th. Stefaniak planned to spend an extra day on her own before returning to Florida 24 hours later. The last time her sister-in-law saw her alive was when she got into an Uber on her way to the resort she had booked via Airbnb after dropping her rental car off at the San Jose airport. Stefaniak wrote her sister-in-law her own prophetic message when she reached the Airbnb resort saying, quote, it's pretty sketchy here. It's pouring rain and the power was out, end quote. She also texted Burton that she was going to ask the groundskeeper for help finding water around 8.20 p.m. A half hour later, her phone was dead, Burton said in a post. Once it was clear that Stefaniak did not make her flight home to Florida, her family alerted the FBI and the U.S. Embassy in Costa Rica and searched frantically for information about Stefaniak with scarce help from Costa Rican authorities, which if you want to know more about the story. There's lots of articles about it, but the Costa Rican authorities, basically, it almost seemed like they were trying to cover this up, mm -hmm. um, but it was it was very sketchy. One week later, sniffer dogs found Stefaniak's decomposing body partially buried and covered with plastic bags in a mountainous area on the grounds of the resort. A security guard had been arrested in connection with her murder. Walter Espinoza, head of Costa Rica's Judicial Investigation Department told the Associated Press that the woman had died of head trauma and had lacerations made with what could be a knife or cut glass on her neck and arms. Bismarck Espinosa Martinez, a resort guard, was convicted of the killing of Carla Stefaniak. 
Martinez, a Nicaraguan immigrant who arrived in Costa Rica in June of that year, had been staying in apartment seven at the resort where he was working as a security guard. Nice, nice cover. Right. Posing as someone who's supposed to protect you. Yep. Stefaniak had been staying in apartment eight right next to him. Prosecutors said during the trial that Martinez had attempted to rape Stefaniak and harmed her when she tried to fight him off. Martinez was sentenced to only 16 years in prison and was also ordered by a judge in San Jose, Costa Rica, to pay $50,000 in damages to the family of Carla Stefaniak. The family had sought the maximum sentence of 50 years and were devastated by the sentence. Stefaniak's family sued Airbnb in 2019, claiming that it did not conduct a background check on Martinez, who they say immigrated to Costa Rica illegally. I couldn't find anything stating whether or not Airbnb decided to settle the lawsuit with her family or not, or if this case is still pending. Uh, I'm guessing they are doing what they can to keep this out of the press. Oh, um, I'm sure. Yeah, I was just saying, if I were to make an educated guess based on everything else we've talked about in this episode, I'd go with they're trying to cover it up. Exactly. The result of all these settlements, combined with the terms of service provisions that prevent lawsuits in the first place, is that the courts have never established the extent to which short-term rental operators might be liable, if at all, for crimes that take place in the properties they list. Lawyer Teresa Lee says, quote, the law around these platforms is unclear. Everything is getting sent to arbitration, so nobody really knows, end quote. Airbnb's desire for secrecy also makes it difficult to understand what impact short-term rentals have on the overall safety of neighborhoods. The company doesn't make the addresses of listings public to protect the safety and privacy of its users. And though some U.S. cities require hosts to list their units on short-term rental registries, most don't release the data, citing the same privacy concerns. Those that do often don't disclose apartment numbers, making it all but impossible to check many addresses against police calls or arrest records. The registries also don't include units rented illegally. Several deadly incidents took place in 2018 and 2019, in addition to Stefaniak's murder, as the company was gearing up for an initial public offering. One was in November of 2018 when a retired New Orleans couple died after inhaling toxic fumes while they slept at an Airbnb in Mexico. Their son appeared on television afterward, pleading for Airbnb to do more to protect its users. But tragedies kept happening. That May, six Brazilian tourists, two of them children, died of carbon monoxide poisoning inside an Airbnb rental in Santiago, Chile, a relative had called the company before they died, but the response was delayed because no one at the call center spoke Portuguese. Brian Chesky was furious, former employees say. Yeah, I bet. Then, <laughs> that Halloween, Airbnb faced one of the deadliest incidents. A shootout at a 1.2 million four-bedroom home in Orinda, California, about 20 miles east of San Francisco. The house, which had been the subject of numerous complaints to police and the city, had been booked for one night. The guests, who had been reported to Airbnb for leaving a bullet 
at another listing just days before triggering an internal safety warning, then advertised a mansion party on social media. More than 100 people were there when a gunman opened fire, killing five. Jesus. Chesky expressed his condolences via Twitter and announced new safety measures, including a ban on party houses and a promise to verify photographs, amenities, cleanliness, and safety of all listings on Airbnb. This effort is still underway. But the company did not reach out to the mother of one of the victims, 23-year-old Raymond Hill, for a week until her lawyer, Jesse Danoff, wrote a letter and issued a statement criticizing Airbnb for providing a little more than prayers. Even some of the company's own safety agents were upset. They say that party houses had been a problem for years. Airbnb subsequently offered to pay for the funerals, but Danoff says that when some of the families sent bills of more than $30,000, the company started haggling, which doesn't make sense. I mean, you you hear about other cases where someone was raped and they get $7 million, right. five people are dead, and you're going to haggle over $30,000? Like, what the fuck? Right. I'm assuming they have insurance. Airbnb, they must, right? So I'm, I get that it would be, you know, it's more money out of their pocket, but yeah. Danoff said they don't care anymore because the news cycle has moved on. The only thing that really motivates them is the threat or potential threat of bad PR or a nightmare in the press. Airbnb says it paid the bills. Danoff said he's still negotiating a settlement. Hill's mother, Cynthia Taylor, says of Airbnb... Quote, they need to be held accountable for what happened. My son's life was taken away at a property they allow it to keep renting on their service after multiple complaints. And yeah, the fact that that's shitty. the person who rented it left a bullet at another house and was still allowed to rent, like, that definitely needed a much quicker investigation. And yeah. something like this could have been prevented. Especially if you see that they posted, like, mansion party, like... That shit could have been shut down much quicker, I feel like. Uh, I'm sorry. I was I stayed at your place last weekend, and I think I left my toothbrush and maybe a bullet behind. <laughs> I mean, if you had people working for you that used to work for the FBI and the CIA, I mean... That's an issue. They should have been on top of that shit. Yeah. Although, they're probably dealing with thousands of situations that are similar, but whatever. That December, Airbnb announced $150 million of additional trust and safety spending. It introduced a 24-7 hotline that offered renters immediate access to a safety agent, created a system to flag high-risk reservations, banned users who were under 25 and did not have a history of positive reviews from booking an Airbnb in the area where they live, and stopped allowing one-night stays over Halloween, July 4th, and New Year's Eve. Many of these measures were focused on the U.S. Rolling them out globally has been a little bit of a challenge, given differing cultures, customs, and regulations in the 191 countries where Airbnb operates. The company has also debated whether to force users to provide government-issued identification but it decided against doing so to avoid excluding hosts and guests in countries where ID is difficult to obtain. Hmm. You stayed at an Airbnb one time, Spencer, where 
you had to wait until the host did a background check wow uh i only vaguely remember that you have a much better memory than me but yeah that sounds about right that's good though i mean i would if i was lending someone my house shit absolutely i think if i was ever going to do airbnb i would be so strict about it because i am so paranoid (laughs) right like you know True crime, serial killers, and like murders and rapists. I do not want that blood on my hands. This is, yeah. Right. No, I don't blame you. I feel the same way. And it's your fucking property, man. Like, I don't want any weirdos coming in and staying there. I mean, I would never have anyone come in my house, but if I. Oh, yeah. Spencer and I have talked about like. Minnie's the only one who's allowed in her place anyway. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But if we've talked about like when we retire, maybe getting land. And having like a tiny house that we would use solely as a rental property for extra income. Like, yeah, no one's allowed in my house, especially <laughs> if they have their shoes on. <laughs> when Airbnb finally debuted as a publicly traded company on December 10th, 2020, Chris Saka, the investor who'd rejected the startup 13 years earlier, tweeted his congratulations and said, quote, I let the worst case keep me from seeing the likely case. Every platform will have some bad actors, but most humans are good people. They knew that. I didn't listen, unquote. Hmm, not sure if I agree, but okay. (laughs) Airbnb still has safety crises to face, assaults to respond to, and regulatory battles to fight. On May 31st, As part of an agreement to settle a lawsuit with New York City, the company started turning over information about its hosts, including names, addresses, and whether they're renting their entire apartment. The data will make it easier to track illegal listings. That's good. More than five years after the attack on West 37th Street, Airbnb still hasn't set any clear rules regarding keys. Clearly, if you're able to go to a random locker and get them, the case set off a years-long internal debate about keyless entry. If hosts could be compelled to use digital keypads and change the code after each stay, a situation like that might be avoided in the future. Very smart, Spencer. I mean, it wasn't my invention, but I'll take credit for it. Even requiring them to disclose whether they had keypad entry could make a difference. Shapiro, the former head of crisis management, recalls pushing for more keyless entry. Shapiro says, quote, I remember trying to talk about the key exchange process and ways to prevent hosts leaving them at shops, end quote. In the end, little was done beyond posting information about keyless entry online and working with several lockmakers to reduce the cost of implementation. Doing more would have been difficult because Airbnb can't dictate how hosts enter their own homes and it might have discouraged them from listing on the platform. The business case won out as it usually does. You can see the evidence in cities around the world. Small lock boxes hanging on fence railings, ready for the next Airbnb guest to collect their key. Do more, Spencer. What's wrong with you? Do more? <laughs> okay, I'll do more. <laughs> do more to put key keypads on every Airbnb. You would think, though, if you had an Airbnb, you would want to do that because it would protect you it would protect your guests. Right. I mean, I think 
if they offered an incentive, like we will install this for free and maybe you get a little bit of extra money or something from Airbnb on top of that, instead of paying out millions and millions and millions upon millions of dollars every year to victims of assault and rape and all the other horrible things that happen. Like this, I think would save the company money in the long run. Well, you know, what do I know? I'm not a business venture capitalist. You know what you're doing, Sharon? You're thinking strategically and a lot of people don't do that these days. (laughs) So, I mean, you think like a couple of billionaires who founded this company would think that, but whatever. Well, that's it for all the traumatizing stories. Uh, So sorry about that. (laughs) We know that it was a lot to take in and we are not saying to never stay at an Airbnb again. This is not an episode about bashing Airbnb. It's about what you can do to protect yourself when you do stay at one. And as most of our listeners know, the reason we're so into true crime in the first place is because the more you know about the subject, hopefully the safer you will be. So we have some safety tips to consider when staying at an Airbnb, a hotel, or anywhere, honestly, because there's a lot of similar platforms to Airbnb now. Yep, absolutely. So first, I highly recommend only stay somewhere with a keypad and never uses a key. And also make sure to ask your host if they change the key code after every use, which might seem stupid, that like obviously they do, but you yeah, never know. You never People know. Are lazy. Yep, I agree. I would shoot him a message and be like, "I want this in writing. Like you tell me that you change this key code after every guest leaves, uh, or I am not staying there." Even if it's just an email or like a message on the platform, that's still in writing. Absolutely. Also, it helps them too. Yeah, like hundred percent. It's not just your safety; it's their safety. Or like, even if it's not the place that they live at. It's the, you know, it's their property, right? It's their property. If they change the key code, it's just helping them too. But it's also their business. They're doing this because they need the money. This is, you know, a way for them to make extra money. And you know, what's a good way to get really good reviews on Airbnb, (laughs) have a really safe and secure location that people can stay at. It's a win-win really. Yeah. Common sense. Um, this, I, I didn't know that these existed, but I'm definitely going to be getting one of these before I travel again, but you can buy a small door jam with an alarm on it. Sweet. It's small enough to pack. It's inexpensive and it will definitely help make you feel safer in any sort of hotel or Airbnb that you stay at. Oh my God. That's amazing. I'm so excited about that now. I feel better. Yeah, I I do too. (laughs) Um, and if you don't want to do that or you think that's too extreme or whatever, you can't find one. You can do something that I've done before, um, which is put something in front of the door that will make it a harder for someone to get in to your rental. Or if there's something heavy that you can put in front of the door that like if it falls over, will make a lot of noise and it will alert you to someone came inside your house. I've done that before. I put um, one Airbnb. I was staying in alone. I put like a like a heavy coat rack, like propped it up against the door so that if like someone came in when I was sleeping, it would fall over and I would hear this huge metal crash that would hopefully wake me up and hopefully scare the person off that was trying to break in. I do that in my apartment. <laughs> like <laughs> my true. kitchen door is actually blocked off with a really heavy metal um, toolbox that my dad gave me. And it's pissed off my landlord a few times when he's tried to get in for maintenance and then was like, what the fuck? But I don't <laughs> care. I heard him coming. The other thing you can do, 
if you're, I mean, obviously when you're gone from your Airbnb all day and you're out sightseeing or whatever, and you want to make sure that no one has been in your place while you were away, definitely check to see if anyone's hiding in your space. (laughs) Um, Have, you know, something ready to hit someone over the head or a knife or something, you know, check all the closets and everything. Also, you can put like a string or something in your door when you close it. And if you come home and you see that that string is laying on the ground, you know someone's been in your space. There are some times where people will go in and clean like a hotel while you're gone, um, which is kind of rare. Right. Um, But other than that, no one should be in your space when you're staying there and you're away. So yeah, even the landlord. I think that's a good idea. Also, this may seem like common sense, but make sure someone knows when you check in and when you leave. When I traveled alone, as soon as I check in, I'll like text Spencer and let him know like, hey, checked in, everything's safe. In the mornings when I leave, I'll be like, hey, going out to like explore the city, whatever. Yep. Text you when I get home that night. And, you know, not everyone has someone that they can send a message to or whatever. But uh, you even a coworker, you yep. know, someone that at work that you're friendly with, um, just let them know, like, hey, I'm going on vacation. Do you mind if I send you a message when I check in and when I leave? Just, you know, if I don't show up for work next week, <laughs> call the cops. I have like two neighbors on my side of our building that like love true crime stuff and like I'll tell them when I'm going out of town and the cat sitter's coming over. Yeah. Or like that they've even said too, like if you need to check in with somebody, like it's so funny where I live. That's why I don't want to move because I like my neighbors. But we (laughs) all have each other's backs because we watch and listen to shows and podcasts just like this one. But it's not a bad idea. Mindy's neighbors, you better be listening to this. (laughs) Meg, Grace, I gave you guys cards for our show. (laughs) Um, Also, once you've booked your Airbnb, Go look up the address on Google Street View and just see what the place actually looks like. Because a lot yeah. of times those pictures are a little deceiving. And you don't want to be walking into a neighborhood that you don't know at all. Yeah. Yeah. And check. don't just check out what the location is you're going to be staying in. Check out the neighborhood, too. If it's sketchy looking and, you know, there's like abandoned lots with like tires and shit like, <laughs> all around you. Or- if there's a tire fire from the Simpsons <laughs> nearby. <laughs> Maybe you want to uh, decide to stay somewhere else. And that's another thing, too, which I didn't even write down on this list. But pick a place that has a very moderate cancellation or a very uh, uh, relaxed cancellation policy. Uh. Because there are some places that have very strict policies. It's like once you book, you're booked and you will not get any sort of a refund. Then there's other places that are like within 24 hours, as long as you give me notice, you'll get a full refund. Um, I try to stay at places that have like a moderate to like easy cancellation policy, just because you never know if you book something six months in advance and then the next six months, all of a sudden you start reading reviews from this place that are like batshit crazy. And you're like, uh, I don't think I want to stay here anymore. You should have the option to get out of staying there without them taking all your money. Right. Right. I also feel like this goes without saying, but you just mentioned reviews. Read the damn reviews. <laughs> They're there for read, a reason. Read the five stars. Read the one stars. Do your damn research. Yeah, I definitely always do that. And I try to only book places that have 
around like a hundred reviews or more because it's easy to fake a few reviews. Sure. It's not easy to fake like a hundred five-star reviews. I mean, I know Airbnb pays off a lot of people, but they're probably not paying off a hundred people for one location. <laughs> if they are, that place should have been shut down like 99 people ago. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. Thank you, Spencer. I thought that went without saying, but maybe not. <laughs> um, have an emergency escape plan. You should always have one no matter where you're at, you know? Um, but definitely if you're in a, a strange city, a strange country, place you've never been before, know the number to 911 because it's not 911 in a lot of countries. Right. Uh, know what that emergency number is. Know all the door exits, window exits. Make sure all the doors and windows are secure. Um, yeah, there's a, a lot of things you can do. Find, find what can be used as a weapon <laughs> around you. Hey, yeah, absolutely. Find a good place to hide. That too. Check for hidden cameras in your Airbnb because unfortunately, this is a thing. <laughs> we will include a link in our episode description with an article that tells you many ways that you can check for a hidden camera if you're worried about that, which I am now. I am now too. <laughs> um, but here are just a few ways you can do that. You can scan the Wi-Fi network for hidden cameras using Bing app, that's F-I-N-G, F as in Frank, I-N-G. Download the Fing app on Apple Store or Google Play. You can connect to Wi-Fi and give the network a scan. All the devices on the network will be revealed with Fing app, including details about the devices, such as the Mac address, vendor, model, nice. et cetera. Hidden cameras will not always show up on a Fing scan. But running one is definitely a good first line of troubleshooting to try and find a camera. Also, check for items that appear odd or appear to be out of place that could be a camera. If you look around the room and there's objects that may be positioned oddly, for example, there's a charger or an adapter right on the bedside table facing the bed or a smoke alarm in the corner of a room rather than on the ceiling in the center of a room or something, um, you know, things like that. You might want to inspect the device, see if there's any sort of brand name on it. Uh, you can look it up online. If you're unsure, you can always just cover up the device with, you know, a towel or a blanket or something as an extra precaution. Or your underwear. Or your dirty underwear. <laughs> the person watching you through the camera might like that. <laughs> okay, bad idea, bad idea. Uh, you can scan the room for hidden IP camera lenses. If you turn off all the lights and then use a flashlight uh, or, you know, the flashlight on your phone to scan the room for lenses, lenses will reflect light. So you may see something that has a reflection indicating that it could possibly be a hidden camera. Also, you can use your smartphone as an infrared light source to spot hidden cameras. If you once again, darken the room. So turn off all the lights, close the shades open your phone's camera app, and then look around the room using the camera. If there's a security camera with an infrared light, it will show up as a bright spot on the camera viewfinder, but also be aware that some other devices also emit infrared light. Some motion detectors do, as does the sensor bar on a Wii game console. Uh, some PCs use infrared light to enhance face detection Etc. Etc. So not every infrared source is a camera. 
And speaking of cameras, look for the cameras, but I don't know, is it also a good idea to maybe bring your own hidden mm. camera? Like a blink, like I have one of those blink cameras from Amazon that like just has a Wi-Fi yeah. base. Yeah, and, and, and we have an extra portable. Simply Safe camera that honestly you could travel with and put up anywhere. Yeah, I guess you probably could because it just plugs into power. Yeah. That's really, that's a good idea too. And that once it's plugged in, um, and you turn your system on, which would activate your system from home, but it should also activate that camera as well, I think. But yeah, if you're out and about all day, you can just randomly turn it on and watch live and see if someone's creeping around your rental while you're not home. Yeah, yeah. I heard of a, a little, I think it's, you know, like those little uh, white cube USB blocks that we plug in to, to plug stuff in. I think I saw one recently that actually has a little camera oh, built in cool. as well that's super, super tiny. And that's just an easy thing to just to plug in and you can use it to plug in your stuff, power your stuff, but also have a little camera. And it would be very nondescript. Like no one, like if someone came into your place and saw it, yeah. they probably wouldn't think it was anything but a charger. But also, what are they gonna do? You're staying there, it's for your safety. Right. I mean, first of all, no one should be sneaking around your place when you're not there anyways and being like, why do you have a camera? I'd be like, uh, because you're sneaking around my place, motherfucker. Right? That's yeah. why I have a camera. Um, yeah, I don't think most people would have a problem with that as long as you didn't leave the camera there. Obviously. You with your a, bullet. With you. With your bullet. <laughs> yeah. The only things I pack are my hidden camera and bullets. I will say that a big safety tip that I've come to use when staying at airbnbs is just to stay with sharon because (laughs) (laughs) when we went to la for the david lich's uh festival of disruption i remember my mom is always like send me the itinerary for your travel and all that kind of shit and uh she was like you haven't even researched this airbnb what's wrong with you and i was like sharon's she booked it trust me our bases are covered because i knew that like sharon is totally into all of that and does her research and so, so that's the last suggestion. Travel with Sharon. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. I Hey, you know what? If, if people need a travel buddy and they want to pay for me to travel with them. <laughs> uh, and we can do a background check on you. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about it. I just need my own bathroom. She does. <laughs> she does. Because it's so stinky. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, All right. Well, hopefully this episode is helpful and will make you scrutinize the next Airbnb or hotel or wherever you stay at um, a little bit harder before you decide to book your next trip. And once again, we are not saying do not use Airbnb. Absolutely not. Just use caution. Um, This is meant to be an informational episode to keep you all safer because we love you. We do. And to be fair, like you had said earlier, this could happen at hotels too. So I feel like this is just good safety trip knowledge in general. And your own house. And your own house. Check your closets every time you come home, people. Oh, I do. (laughs) I live on third floor for a reason, people. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all for listening to us. If you have your own Airbnb or hotel horror story, please write to us at horrorstalkhorror at gmail.com. Or other suggestions. Safety suggestions. Yes, good call. Yeah, Yeah, I was like, suggestions about what? (laughs) Sorry, I was not clear. (laughs) Suggestions about how to commit Airbnb horror stories? No. No, yes. I was actually going to say that, but thank you. Yes, Um, if you have your own safety tips, uh, send them to us and we will read them on a, a future tidbits episode. Um, you can also write us 
your ghost stories, any true crime stories, creepy stories, whatever you want us to read on our show. Please do subscribe to us and rate and review us. It truly helps us get more exposure. If you're able to, please join our Patreon so that you can get early access to episodes, see exclusive posts, and get some cool shit sent to you in the mail. Please be kind to each other. Uh, Very clearly, as we've said many times during this episode, be safe. (laughs) And as always, thanks thanks for for getting creepy with us. Sharon, you want a beer? Uh, Oh my God.